Hi, welcome to episode six of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be talking about the fading themes from Q1 and the lack of a clear theme for Q2. The title for this episode is Drifting Without a Catalyst. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. So Greg, here we are. It's April 13th, 2021. I think what we can take from your comments in the introduction and certainly the title of this podcast is that nothing is really moving right now. And we've both said in separate conversations we've had with clients has yielded a general theme that conviction levels are pretty low right now. FX, I think, has a habit of concentrating on other markets or geopolitics rather than things that are purely FX related. Now, we had two big themes in Q1. One was the commodity price spike in base metals and and energy, particularly in Jan and Feb. And we had a U.S. 10-year yield spike and a considerable re-steepening of the twos tense curve. And that was largely a Feb March story. My take on it personally is that something definitely spooked dollar shorts in Q1. And I don't think it was so much a mechanical linkage between the US 10-year yield and the steepness of the twos tense curve and the dollar, but the move unsettled dollar shorts in Q1 certainly. And part of the story was the expected economic growth differential between the US and the rest of the world. So that was Q1. And we had a lot of catalysts there for movement in FX, but not so much now. Does anything else stand out regarding Q1 in your view, Greg? I totally agree with you about FX trading correlated financial prices. It's what we do in our asset class when there is no major shift in monetary policy, no critical elections, and no major geopolitical shocks. And at least from what's on the calendar, we don't have any big country elections in Q2 either. And as far as geopolitics go, yes, for sure, things like wars and rumors of wars can definitely have a big impact on FX. But little issues like ships getting stuck in the Suez Canal tend to come and go pretty quickly. I will take careful note of the buildup of troops along the Russia-Ukraine border and the growing tensions in disputed waters between Vietnam, the Philippines, and China. But I still don't think we have anything that rises to the level of an FX market moving theme for Q2, or at least not yet, not where we stand right now. Or am I missing some major political slash geopolitical development in your neck of the woods, Stephen? No, Greg, not really. There's not a lot of geopolitical risk in my neck of the woods in Q2. I think we can call the Scottish elections in early May a minor UK political risk, but I don't think it's one that's going to be a market mover for sterling or UK rates or big market mover for those things. The bigger story for sterling, in my perspective, is that we really don't have one. 
the market got ahead of itself by pricing in the impact of the rapid vaccine rollout in the UK on the economy. But of course, we haven't seen the extent to which the vaccine rollout has fed through because we don't have data from March and April, particularly April. That's an important point in terms of market positioning. Perhaps we've seen a similar adjustment in rates in the dollar. Just today, on Tuesday, we had a slightly hotter than expected CPI print for the month of March, and the bond market just basically yawned. So again, it takes a lot to surprise the bond market and the FX market when you have already seen moves anticipating some of the data that we're seeing. Does that make sense from your perspective, Greg? What do you think about that? One of the things that happens in markets, particularly FX, is that themes get tired after a while. They lose their shock value, so to speak. That causes them to lose their potency in terms of causing price movements, even if the narrative doesn't shift. With regard to the issue of CPI, the Fed got well ahead of the uptick, going clear back to speeches that Powell and others gave back in January and February. They made it clear that the Fed wouldn't end QE, let alone hike rates, because base period effects caused year-over-year inflation to surge. So yeah, the uh, domestic segment of the dollar-denominated bond market yawned at this data, even though the whisper in Asia, which proved correct, caused U.S. rates and the dollar to spike a bit in the lead-up to the data. Now that we've had this little slap of dollar bulls, they may be a little more reluctant to make another run on the dollar. If U.S. dollar bulls take some time to cool off, what do you think that does to euro dollar and to dollar China, Stephen? Well, Greg, I think that if core positioning in each of these pairs held by FX investors is reduced, the vulnerability is probably euro dollar higher and dollar CNH lower. I think from a macro perspective, short euro dollar from the very high teens and long dollar CNH from the lower half of the 650s makes the most sense on a one to two month basis. So for the ECB, their language has so far indicated that any backup in rates is largely going to be counteracted. And I have to imagine that's going to be the case, even if Eurozone economic data is somewhat less bad than expected, considering the hole that they're digging themselves out from. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is that the bond purchases they're doing, they're a vital support mechanism for the bond markets in Europe. On the RMB side of the equation, definitely can't see how the yield dynamic for the RMB is supportive right now for the currency. And as we can see in the data, the trade surplus is moderating from the improvement we saw in 2020. So I think those are the bigger macro stories which are relevant here. I guess my question to you, Greg, is in terms of positioning, what impact has the settling out of themes have on dollar cad and dollar yen, do you think? I'll start with the easy one, Stephen. That's dollar yen. Dollar yen had a big, uh, call it 7% move in Q1. That was caused by speculators buying the pair on the U.S. yield spike narrative. If that narrative loses potency and positions are trimmed, dollar-yen is going lower, full stop. It's a lot harder to say what happens in dollar-Canada, though, because the move lower that we've seen this year, and in fact, I'd say in the move we've seen over the past nine months, hasn't come from speculators aggressively selling the pair. They've been dragged along sort of kicking and screaming. And they largely sat on the sidelines while the pair has drifted lower. So for uh, CAD, the one place where maybe there has been vulnerable positions is along crosses. And I'll point specifically to Euro Canada and Starlink Canada. But with the pop back above 150 over the last week or so, maybe those cross positions have been cleaned out. So yes, Greg, 
Definitely, I think the lack of follow through in the global reflation story in some commodity prices and some recent EM currency weakness has definitely been responsible for the squeeze on euro short positions on those cross rates like euro cad. So I think the question is, is there enough of a reflationary theme at the global level to permit EuroCAD to drift lower again? I think the answer is probably yes, but we may be drifting lower from 152 or 151 instead of 148 or 147 because the clear out in Euro shorts may not be over yet. I think we've got to admit we've definitely seen enough moves in segments of the EM space to suggest that they're coping with the trend rise in US yields, but it's not necessarily a positive force for the EM space, and in some cases, an outright negative. Yep. Higher US dollar-denominated yields are a negative factor for EM currencies, for sure. So if the US dollar yield spike extends, EM currencies will suffer a bit. However, if US yields pause for the quarter, then I think what we'll see is range trading in G10FX that pushes FX investors into searching for carry. That inevitably directs them towards EM currencies that have a bit of carry like Max Peso, for example. Look, Stephen, it looks like we're in agreement that we're most likely due for a range trading quarter, barring the emergence of some new risk, some unknown unknown, so to speak. So let's talk about ranges. In Eurodollar, we had an average of about, call it 121.5 in January, but then we moved down to about 117.5 in March. Now we're halfway in the middle at, call it 119.5. Which side of that range can you see breaking most easily? And in dollar CNH, which of 645 or 665 do you think would be taken out most easily? Well, first of all, in euro dollar, Greg, 117.50 to 121.50, I really don't think either of those levels breaks easily. And I think you nailed it with your last point, basically by saying that stable risk appetite and ranginess in U.S. yields constrains Euro topside because of the Euro's funding attributes. So what's good for the carry trade for the time being is negative for the Euro. But at the same time, when you have the lack of follow through in higher U.S. yields, it means the dollar just drifts sideways and the Euro is a direct beneficiary of that. And then for dollar CNH, Greg, the way I would look at it is this. I think the PBOC, or for the time being, fine with a range that's bounded by the low 650s on the one hand and the low 660s on the other. And they certainly don't want a rapid move to 665 or something destabilizing. But let's say that someone was to assert that there was a 40% probability of 665 printing in April. I think that that probability bleeds lower pretty rapidly, pretty quickly, if U.S. yields trade sideways. There's just no follow-through in U.S. yields, so dollar CNH also trades sideways. So what about dollar CAD, Greg? If we're looking at levels like 123.50 or 127.50, which do you think breaks the most easily? I'm going to say probably 123.50. And that could happen if oil just holds at around $60 a barrel for WTI and $50 a barrel for WCS. The other factor that's out there is the BOC potentially tapering QE ahead of the Fed. The BOC is running out of bonds to buy, and that could cause them to begin tapering QE at either the meeting on the 21st of April or the 9th of June. Tapering before the Fed could easily bring us below 123.50 in dollar cat. Okay, Greg, so then in Aussie dollar, would you say anything different relative to what your comments just were about dollar CAD regarding the 75.80 range? Thanks for bringing that up, Stephen. We don't have the same 
early QE exit risk for Aussie that we have for CAD. And the other thing that has emerged is that the RBA's reserves data suggest it intervened against Aussie strength in March. That is something that Canada couldn't do without the U.S. throwing a fit. So I now think that a break of 80 cents in Aussie USD is a low probability thing. I could see 75 cents breaking with much less official or market resistance. Well, Greg, I think we're going to wrap things up there. We've got enough recording time. We'd like to thank you, as always, for tuning in. And we hope you'll join us again in a week's time for our next podcast. And maybe we'll have a new narrative to discuss at that time. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.